promise you amazing guests and you know for this season it doesn't stop uh we will be having tremendous content tremendous advice just words of wisdom from our speakers to help you along your journey so today we are honored and blessed to have athletic director gerald harrison he is the ad at austin p university and actually we actually recorded this i don't know about two or three months ago and really, I've just been holding on to it because the content on it is just uh, phenomenal. Now, you may recognize Austin P. University, which is in Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, they were the first ones to play college football this year in the uh, 2000 season known as the pandemic year. But he's worked so hard to establish this athletic program as one of the best in the country. I met him. We worked together at Duke University. He was actually also the first one of the first speakers for moving up our leadership conference each and every single year that we would host at Duke. So sit back, enjoy, take some notes down, because Gerald Harrison is about to drop some dimes. Another amazing episode. I don't know what number we're on, but I do know it's season two, and you're here, and you devoted your time. I've got an amazing guest. Um, he is someone who I've known for years a, uh, he's an athletic director. He was actually one of the founding speakers of Moving Up, the leadership conference we do at Duke every single year. And he is now the athletic director at Austin P University. It is Gerald Harrison. How you doing, man? Hey, man. I'm doing great. Looking forward to this opportunity to share with you and your friends. Well, this is uh, honestly a, an interesting time. You know, if you're listening to this now or later on, it is the coronavirus. So everyone is at home. You are in your home office um, and in Tennessee, and you're trying to navigate through all this. Just real quickly, um, how is that going and how hard is it, has it been leading and managing from afar? Well, it's always a challenge when you can't, well, when you can't keep your phone standing up. It's, a, it's always a challenge uh, when you're leading from afar. Anytime that you uh, can't put your hands on or interact directly with your student athletes or your staff is a challenge. But we're making it, like I said, getting used to a lot of Zoom calls and FaceTime and everything else. Uh, but thank goodness for technology. So I've been able to reach out and, and see our people every day. That's awesome. And we'll get back to your time at Austin P. But I want to go back a little bit. You come from a family of educators. Your dad is a football coach. Your sister's a teacher. I think your mom, was your mom a teacher? My mom was a teacher and school superintendent. Yeah. So everything. So, I mean, you come from a long line of education, obviously. You, you mm -hmm. have been at Tennessee and Duke, been part of football and administration. I mean, let's dig deep right now. Like, what are some lessons that you've learned over your time that can really apply today to today's leaders, coaches, et cetera? Well, I think the number one thing that I uh, learned from my parents is direct communication. Uh, I think it's very important uh, that we as leaders communicate with our student athletes and our staff right now as honestly as we can. And sometimes that's admitting that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's been something that we've done uh, with our people here at Austin P is to say, listen, we don't know everything, but as I get answers, I'm giving it to you directly and honestly. And so you get it real time like I do. Uh, and that's one thing that my parents always talked about. It was important. My dad with his teams, 
Uh, and my mom, as a superintendent, always talked about direct and clear communication. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when you go, when communication is a is a great bar for you that is a part of one of your values. So what do you advice you can tell with people who, for some reason or another, are afraid to communicate? Maybe it's something from their childhood. Maybe it's a boss that got them. What is there? Is there something there that people can move the needle so they could communicate better? Well, I think the number one thing is you have to take a, it's like swimming, you know, and when they tell you the number one way to swim is to just jump into the pool, mm -hmm. that's how communication works. You're, it's not always going to be positive, right? I mean, you think about the first person you ever asked for a date or try to talk right. to, it didn't always go well. I know for me, it didn't <laughs> always go well right away. And so it took a while. So you have to take a, a chance. Uh, and that's the way communication works. You cannot be afraid to take a chance. Uh, as I said to your group in, uh, uh, a few years ago when I spoke to them, it's about being cautiously daring. Mm -hmm. If you're prepared, if you have the answers and you know what you're trying to relate to people, and you're prepared, that's the most part, you're prepared, your message will come out clear and concise. But you have to take a written, you, know, you have to fill out the group and you'll right. learn, like you'll learn your staff. The way I communicated with the folks that were my direct reports at Duke were not the way I could communicate with all of them at Austin Peay. So I, my first meeting may not have been the best meeting, maybe, you know, but I learned as we go along the best way to communicate uh, with everyone. So I think you got to be cautiously daring and prepared. I love it. Cautiously daring. And I think so many people aren't that, right? They live in that fear part of it that they don't cautiously dare. I mean, now sometimes they do it in some parts of their life and other parts they don't, they don't do, it, do it at all. Now, you had, um, you had a great career at Tennessee. You were a student there, if I remember correctly. And then mm -hmm. of course you work with the football team and Coach Fulmer and Coach Cutcliffe, who's now the head football coach at Duke. Talk about those experiences and how that shaped you as well. Yeah, you know, Hernando, that was really huge for me. Um, the opportunity to, to work with Coach Fulmer first at Tennessee uh, and to be around some great, uh, great people. There are a lot of great coaches that came through that time, uh, many of which have been head coaches now and that you've learned from along the way. Uh, Coach Fulmer was great for this. He is my example for this time because he always told us that it is never as good as you think it is or never as bad as you think it is. It's somewhere in the middle. And you got to stay the course. He's always talked about staying the course and circling the wagons, right? And, and that's what we're all doing right now in the country. We're trying to stay the course and circle the wagon. So I try to present to my staff, uh, regardless of the fount of money issues that may come from this, regardless of some of the health challenges and the next step of when we're going to do it, we got to stay the course, circle the wagons and surround ourselves with people that you want to be in the bunker with you. Uh, and that's something I picked up from Coach uh, Coach Fulmer. Uh, Coach Cutcliffe was, was Coach Cutcliffe was a great planner. I always tell people he had a checklist and a plan for everything. Mm. And my staff would probably tell you I have too many checklists and plans <laughs> too. But that's something I picked up from Cut. And and because Coach Cut, I used to tell people all the time, you told him he had a day to build a warship. He's probably got a checklist item for it somewhere on how to build that warship. I mean, that is really uh, his thing. He always had a plan. Uh, and so that's what I'm doing right now. You know, a lot of people say, well, athletics, you're not doing much. 
I, I, I frown on that. What we're doing right now is building checklist items and how we're going to prepare for whenever we come back. How are we going to communicate to our student athletes? How are we going to indoctrinate them to online classes? It's always a plan. And so that's something I learned from him. And as you know, uh, at Duke, the wizard is in the great godfather's Kevin White. And I, and I don't think there's a better athletic administrator in the country just because of the way uh, he balances it all. He understands, he understands the politics of it. And used to talk to us about that all the time. Understand the politics, understand the politics, understand the politics. And that helped me. So I took a little bit of all of those things, put together and try to, with my own uh, sarcasm, which you know I, I have, um, <laughs> try to put it all together and, and come out, make a good administrator. And I'm working on it. Yeah. No, I mean, all the names you're mentioning, for all of you guys who are listening, he wasn't name dropping. These are people that he's actually worked with. He's been with, he's been in the trenches with them and everything. T talk about how you got the opportunity, uh, which Coach Fulmer, because, you know, for some of our listeners, they're trying to get their foot in the door. They're trying to find mm -hmm. ways, especially in today's climate, on how to get in touch with these coaches, with these decision makers to help them in their life. You know, I'm gonna t I tell this all the time, the willingness to do anything mm -hmm. to get in. You know, I think, the challenge I see in hiring folks and, and being a manager is that everybody's ready to be assistant director, director, whatever, right now. They come out of school and they're ready right now. Where when we came through, it was different. Like when I started, I had to be willing to pick up coaches' kids, answer the phone when they're called for, um, stay up in the office back when recruiting used to be done through the office and not on your cell phone. And, and if something happened, be ready at all times. Uh, I've done some things that, you know, people today would scoff at or call HR for, you know. <laughs> hey, go run and get my chewing tobacco, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've done some of these things. And this is when I was rolling with degrees. And, and But that showed a level of loyalty and willingness to do. Mm. And then when even when I wasn't asked to do it, wasn't on my job description, like fundraising. And things like that. I would want to go to donor functions. You know, I would want to do when we had tours going through uh, the football facilities at Tennessee. I said, I'll do it. And that's how I got my first job right out of school was director of community relations, which was really some made up thing. We didn't have a budget, didn't have a staff, but managed all these autographs and community service <laughs> projects for our student athletes and turned it into something. Mm -hmm. Something that was nothing, we turned into something. And then that showed that I can manage people. I got a staff of people to work for nothing. So I'm making little to nothing. And I got a bunch of interns to work for something. That showed some kind of leadership, I guess. Go and I get the recruiting jobs. I'm over, you know, overseeing recruiting. That was just a huge opportunity. And it started with the willingness to do whatever. Mm. Uh, Kevin White calls it cross-pollination. You don't just do what you're assigned, you know, like, you were an assistant basketball coach when I was at Duke with you, but you went to all other sport events and you interacted with donors and you're doing these things because you're willing to do something that wasn't on your job description or you didn't ask, well, do I get hours for this or do I get overtime for this? There's way too much of that now. Um, I, and and that, that's the most disappointing part. With people's willingness to do what it takes is not what it used to be just a few short years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely agree. I think some, when I get some questions from coaches, I say the exact same thing. And I said, just by showing your face, 
by showing that you're willing to serve, you're already beating everybody because there's so many yeah. people want to do it. I spoke at the, a coaches convention and I said, guys, you know, when I start, was working for, for Joanne P. McCauley at Duke, I said, I'd go recruiting with her. I'd make sure the car is outside 15 minutes before she came downstairs because that is just something that she doesn't have to worry about. Your bosses have to worry about, you know, where is H, where, where is this? And you have everything under control. And, and they need that because their focus is just to run the organization or coach the team or, or any of that with it. Is there, is there something, you know, when you're, because when, I know that when you were at Duke, you made a huge push on women and minority hiring. And when, mm -hmm. when you had a lot of those young people come in, was that something you always had to keep pressing on and kind of push forward? Or did they catch on quickly? I constantly, I constantly, uh, some of them will say attack them with that <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> um, and I tell the stories all the time, and and that was a huge piece of it. Because listen, as a as a minority or a female, you have to be better. You can't be just as good as. That's not good enough. That's something my grandmother and grandfather taught me in the backwoods of South Carolina, down in Orangeburg, a long time ago. You can't be as good as. You have to try to be better. And most people understand that on the football field, or the basketball court, or when it comes to athletics. But it's the same way with your attitude. Your attitude can't be the same as your peers. It has to be better. Your willingness to work can't be the same. It has to be better. Mm. You know, you don't, there's nothing wrong with being first in the office or not leaving at 4.30. You know, I tell people, if you leave at 4.30, you're saying to your boss, I'm doing just enough. Mm. There's an old gospel song that says 99 and a half won't do. Well, it's the same process, right? So... I actually keep up with it. I tell our staff at All Speed, the days, Fridays, 8.30 to 4.30 is a university. That's a university policy. We know that doesn't work in athletics, but that's a university policy. And I say, okay, fine. But I know who arrives at 8.30, mm -hmm. and I know who leaves at 4.30. And if I'm there when you're leaving, you left too early. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I got the job. I'm the AD. I got the job. You're trying to get there. If you're if you're leaving, before, if you're an assistant coach and you leave before your head coach, I don't care if the head coach tell you you can leave or not. Where are you going? <laughs> There's always one more recruit. There's almost one more uh, call to make. Another another tweet. Another film to watch. Um, you know, I think that is what's lost. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can talk to anybody who I've been around. I tell that story and talk about that all the time. 99 and a half will not do. You got to be better than the rest. And if you got somebody who wants to stay in your office all day, you know, staying they like, hey, I'm gonna be here longer than anybody. Well, pack a lunch. Get your right. get your cheese stick and some crackers. Make it work. But you know, I never left the office for I don't think I ever left the office at Tennessee before. Uh I know I never left before Coach Fulmer, and I never left uh before it was dark. Even in all I mean, you just kinda Plan your day that way. Right. There's always something else to do. There's always, and I mean, you know as well I do. You know, in our basic workday, you're you're not just working all the way through. You have people coming visiting you. They got mm -hmm. questions. They've got all these things. And I found that if I was able to get to work like an hour earlier, no one was there. Everybody leave me alone. And now I could actually get some of the stuff that was 
backlogged with everything else on it. Yeah, that generally works. It worked really well. Do you get that AD title, then they just come bother you whenever. <laughs> but no, I I get more done, and that's true. I get more done uh, probably between the hours of five and six thirty, five and seven, that I'm able to get done from the hours of nine to five, just because because of all those you know nobody schedules a meeting at six. So, you know, you're in your office and the phone isn't ringing necessarily or whatever. So, uh, and I try to hire people who have the same kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't generally hire people that first thing they ask me, so what's the hour expectations (laughs) or do I have to work the games on the weekend? If that comes up in the interview process, I'm probably not going to hire you. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a hard no. No, no. As, as, uh, what's my guy, uh, the guy who's on American Idol, Randy Jackson? Oh, Randy. That's a no for me, dog. <laughs> That's a no for me, dog. <laughs> now, the leadership is one thing. Communication is one thing. Relationships, mm-hmm. all right? When you yeah. look at from Tennessee to Duke to Austin P, how important are the relationships you've made? How important are the relationships that you const- and are constantly cultivating over time? Huge, huge. I think the, and and let me say this about relationships. People misunderstand what a relationship is. Uh, A relationship is not meeting a person at a convention and exchanging cards, and you said (laughs) you've interacted with them, and I have a relationship with the person I exchanged a business card with. A relationship is when you can actually reach out to a person and send them a text message or call or write a handwritten letter. Those things still work. And, And they respond to those, or they hit you back. Or, you know, even if it's a, you can't get discouraged. I think some young folks get discouraged with, I wrote such, such a letter and he sent me a okay back or he said, thanks. But the fact that they responded to you lets you know, they know who you are. And so you have the making of a relationship, Mm. the beginnings of a relationship. Uh, They're huge. I check in with as many people from each institution uh, that I've been with as much as possible. Uh, you know, you came through Nashville not too long ago. Mm. Those kind of conversations and those moments are are vital. Uh, important. You never know when you're going to need a person. I can say, well, I'm not at Tennessee anymore, and most of the people who are at Tennessee aren't there, so therefore I don't need to talk to them. No, I try to talk to as many folks over from Knoxville as I can, as many folks from Durham, and I'm still growing people in this area, you know, from whether they're bowl reps or whatever they may be. Uh, you got to have relationships. And I'm telling you, the number one place a relationship is important is with your coworkers and your staff. Mm. You know, as a player, you understand it because they're like, oh, these are my teammates. Right. You know, and so you have those relationships. You know, are you in a fraternity? That's my line brothers. But people don't think about it in the work standpoint. So when you look at it from a work standpoint, those are the people that are going to cover you and you make a mistake because you will. I do. Those are the people that are going to, uh, you're going to spend the majority of your time with because we know there's no such thing as work-life balance, right. right? You usually spend most of your time at work and you get enough of your other time at, at home. And so if you need relationships with those people so they can trust you, uh, so they want to help you out when it's time. And so those are the key areas where I see relationship works. I hope that answers your question. No, it, uh, it- it, it totally got on does. The tangent there for yeah. <laughs> No, it, it totally does. I, I, I get tons of questions about that. And a lot of them are saying, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know, like, how should I do this text or this letter? And I always say, listen, just say, hope you're doing all right. Just thinking about you during this time. 
hope your family is good. I mean, all of that goes a long way because people will see that and remember that in many ways. Well, let me tell you this. I sent, uh, I went through my phone. I, I started this two days ago and started texting as many people, uh, professionally and personally, that I could say, hey, crazy time we're having here, you know, these days. Hope you and your family are well. Thinking about you, stay healthy, be well. And I said that just to people and, and you know, personalize it. You know, it's like, hey, whatever. And, and the response you give it, people are just happy that you thought of them and they respond back to you and ask you about your family, which leads you into, some, if you want it, sometimes it leads you into a conversation. Right. Hey, I heard you got married a year ago. Tell me about your family. Now, here I go. Well, got, you know, now I have two kids and a beautiful wife and we live in Clarksville. Right. And, you know, and they're like, oh, well, da, 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 da. you know what I mean? So he doesn't, because everybody's sitting at home. Yes. You know, you're busy. You're sitting at home. So people are going to communicate when the phone rings, you know, or, or and so that is a, a part of the process that people don't think about. Because you're legitimately sitting at your house right now or sitting, you know, wherever. This is a great time to communicate. Right handwritten notes to people. People are still getting their mail, right. you know. And people are still responding to text messages. You know, but now if you send those silly ones, the number one, my number one pet peeve, number one pet peeve, Gerald Harrison tip for you. When people are looking for information about a school interest and they send you those form letters and you can tell they just changed the first name right. and they just changed the uh, the school name and sometimes they forget to do it. You know, it's like I got I got one the other day, somebody applying for one of our CFO job that was open and it's like, you know, dear, you know, Gerald Harrison, and it's like, I look forward to the opportunity to work at Samford. <laughs> uh, you're out. You know, it's a no for me, dog, right? Yeah. But they, uh, you know, get it right. And if you have a personal thing with them, put that in your message. Mm -hmm. Hey, it was great seeing you at the, you know, at the OBC tournament. I uh, hope you and your family doing well. You know, something that was smart and let them know that that message was personalized for them. Right. You know, how many of those messages you get on holidays say, hey, happy, Merry Christmas, that you don't respond to because it just says Merry Christmas. But right. if I say, hey, Hernando, hope your kids are doing well, Merry Christmas, you might respond to that one. Yep. It's a personal touch. I've, I've made a couple mistakes like that when I applied for head coaching jobs. I have my resume, and then I put, like, a watermark of the school logo behind it. And <laughs> And then I sent it, and I was like, you know what I'm talking about? oh, man, I put the wrong, I didn't remove the watermark from the <laughs> other school. <laughs> I'm like, oh. It happens. <laughs> Don't worry, I had somebody apply for a job the other day, and they sent me a letter that said, dear Ryan Ivy, who's a who's an AD previous to me, <laughs> here at Austin P. And, you know, I was like, well, I guess you're going to Stephen F. Austin with Ryan. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> No, it is. Those details are, are, are so, so important. Talk about details. When you went from Duke to Austin P, what mm -hmm. are a few things, a few details where you didn't account for and it was like, oh, shoot. I, I didn't know if anybody could help me with this, but this is something I didn't expect. Well, <laughs> there's so many of those. <laughs> Anytime you're first time in the in the in the 80s chair, there's so many of those things that happen. But you know, I, there's two things that come to mind. One, uh, 
I think it's very important to get a great understanding of the plate where you are in their mentality before you make too much of movement. Um, Cause things that I saw as simple common sense thing, they weren't here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they haven't done it. There's not anything against our speeches that never come up. And so I'm ready to like, boom, let's go to the night. Let's right. go fix this. And they're like, Whoa, <laughs> you know? And so that, that's one. Um, uh, and the other thing is Kevin White actually told me, and it's true, and I did it, but I didn't probably do as much as I should have or could have done. Uh, if you can, you get ascend to the chair, you gotta have somebody in place on your team that you know, that knows you, that can translate for you. Mm. Um, so for example, you've worked with me. I am very blunt and I am sarcastic, uh, well, they don't know that. Those people, <laughs> these people here didn't know that about me. Uh, so when I say something, they are having meltdowns amongst each other, thinking I'm about to run everybody out of town. And it really wasn't. I was being sarcastic about something, and they didn't understand it. But if I'd have had a person in that came in with me, like when Kevin White came to Duke, he brought Nina King, Stan Wilcox, Boo Corbin. So he had a team mm-hmm. that could kind of disseminate the Kevin Whiteisms, as we all know, to us <laughs> to help us understand. Uh, when I first got to Austin Peay, there was nobody here to say translate Gerald for for the staff. And I would suggest that anybody that has that opportunity to get somebody uh, to do that. Um, to have somebody to translate that. And if you realize if you can't do it, you need to have some, you need to understand that you need to better explain everything mm. at first, up front. You know, I kind of came in young, excited, ready to go. And, and I probably put a charge into some things and made some decisions that I would have taken back, just knowing that the pace that I was going was probably a Duke pace. Uh, and not a uh, Austin P place pace. So you got to know you got to know where you are and uh, what you're doing. I, I think you make up a, uh, you come up with a great point on understanding your environment of where mm-hmm. you are, and then really progressing and moving it forward um, on on that end. The the when you are looking yourself as a leader, um, how what is the balance of being um, maybe what is the what, what am I really trying to say? I know what I'm trying to say. You know, when you're a leader, you really accept responsibility. Like, how mm-hmm. much do you do you really look at what you're doing, take inventory of your day, and be like, yeah, you know what? I know you mentioned a little bit before, but how often do you do it? I do it constantly. I'm thinking I'm my own worst critic, um, uh, which is hard to say because there's always somebody who wants to get after you on a message board here in leadership. <laughs> Uh, but I think I think I'm probably my own worst critic. Like like I said just now, you know, when you make a decision, I'll give you an example of a decision that I made, uh, which may help somebody listen to so that everybody can make these mistakes. When we had a parking situation at for basketball, uh, where I, I didn't feel like the the level of donation wasn't consistent across the board to get this kind of premium parking. And and as I looked at it, and we were trying to redo the whole annual fund thing to generate revenue, I, be, I basically got rid of that parking lot, you know, and you had to give so much to do it. And 
everybody had to be consistent. So if it was going to be a five thousand dollar lot, everybody was going to be a five thousand dollar lot. Where previously, it was well, this guy may pay five, this guy may be pay fifty, and be a friend of the guy that pays five. And that did, you know, that at at Duke or Tennessee or anywhere else, I never heard of that. And so, you know, cut it. <laughs> Let's make it fair. And and that caused uh, a huge thing because they've been doing it for so many years. <laughs> And I think I, I owe my president my president an apology for all the calls she had to take for me doing it. Uh, and uh, and so when I look back over the things that some of the things that I've done, and we've done a lot of great things that I'm really proud of. I don't regret doing it. I regret doing it when I did it in the time that I did. It. So that's just something where you take stock in real time. Like I knew probably two weeks after we did it that maybe I should have waited the year two uh, to do that. But um, as far as evaluating myself, I do it all the time. I think it's a, I think good leaders do. You know, I was like, okay, we didn't get something done. And I tell, I tell our staff this, if I set out goals, you know, for our groups and they don't accomplish them or do them, as a leader have fault. I failed because I didn't communicate the needs of the athletics department or the timeliness of it effectively enough for them to lead their groups. So that leadership point comes to me. And I'll open our meetings with that. So if I said, hey, Hernando, I want you to do a women's basketball conference, get coaches from across the OVCN, da-da-da-da-da, I think that'd be great exposure for Austin Peay. I leave, and I leave that there. And then I get through the year, and I'm going to your evaluation, and you, and you didn't do it. And I said, well, why did, I thought we said do it. Well, I didn't. I thought it was a suggestion. That I, that's my fault. Because I didn't say, no, no, I want this done. You need to have this accomplished. So my leadership fell short because I didn't communicate effectively with you mm. and help you understand what you're supposed to do. So things like that, I, I, um, I evaluate myself on all the time. Really critical of my public speaking. You know, I want to make sure that I always bring a message of hope, positivity, but be direct and uh, with our folks and honest with them. So if I, I ask people right when it's over, what, did, did, did my message hit? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, no, I don't think you maybe missed this or that. Well, I got to come up with a better way of doing it. Uh, so all that kind of stuff, uh, I, 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 uh, you know, I look at my evaluate all the time. I, all that is self-awareness and professional development, understanding who you are. When you are looking at your staff, um, primarily mm-hmm. coaches, I get a lot of coaches who are listening, um, when they develop themselves professionally, in this day and age, are you looking for them to develop better as an X's and O's person or in terms of people and mindfulness and, and leadership and, and empathy and things like that? Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, right now, most people are not hiring X's and O's folks. They're hiring CEOs. They're hiring people that can lead a program. Well, how do you lead a program? You lead it by doing all the things you mentioned in the second part of it, not the X's and O's part. How do they relate with parents? How do they relate with recruiting? How do they market their programs? Uh, uh, what What does their program look like? What's the discipline right? What's the APR like? Mm. All that stuff matters as much as the A's and O's part. Because here's the thing. If you recruit well, you're going to, the A's and O's will work itself out. You got better talent, you'll beat people. Like, it, it, 
you know, uh, Coach Foreman used to always say, it ain't the, it ain't the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. You know, Nebraska football in the 90s ran that triple option. You knew what play was coming. You couldn't stop it because Tom Osborne was able to recruit, you know, and he got great players, and he ran the same five plays. Well, that's why the, I think some people get bogged down in these rooms. Uh, we call it, I used to call it the mushroom patch. It do. Coaches get in a room, and they all sit and they all watch first down, second down, third down. And guess what they're going to do tomorrow? First down, second down, third down. That's important. Don't get me wrong. But if your kids love you and they want to fight for you and play for you, if you got a message, a winning message that they believe in, if the parents trust you, if, if your fan base is energized and motivated to buy tickets and show up to support your team. If all that's going on, the kids are going to class, you don't have a bunch of Title IX problems or, or discipline issues or marijuana issues. If you manage that part and you're the true CEO of it all and you're a head coach and you hire a great X's and O's person mm-hmm. and you hire a person who's really good uh, with, with people, and then yourself grow as a person, those are the guys, or no guys meaning women or men, that are going to be head coaches. Mm. There are Dabo Sweeney is a good friend. Um and and I love Dabo to death. Dabo was never a coordinator. He was a wide receiver coach mm. and he went to head coach. And that doesn't people say, well, that doesn't happen. But look at it now. It's happening a whole lot. Why? Because he was a CEO mindset, positive energy, contagious attitude about him to love for players. Players love playing for him. Fans rallied around him. He was able to get that Clemson draw. You know, he had it done. And they're now one of the top programs in the country. Same thing in basketball. You know, look, there's plenty of examples of it. There's always going to be Mike Krzyzewski's and Tom Izzo's and, Jim, and Bayheim. All those people are great. But you look at the ones who are doing and exploding right now in the in the next generation. They're able to recruit. They're able to lead. People love them. People follow them. People believe in them. Believe in them. Their programs aren't all in the uh, in the paper every day for something bad. You know, they're they're not. In, they don't have to explain their president every day all the problems. Right. They're great CEOs. Great CEO. So if I talk to any young coach, when I hire a coach, I don't hire the X's and O's guy. I'm hiring the person who proves to be the best CEO. Uh, and that's and that's that's kind of what that's kind of what's working out. Oh, man, I love it. That is so 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 true. I I think, in you know, there's all these obviously during this time, uh, this coronavirus. There's tons of basketball online clinics and everything else, mm-hmm. and it's just a great opportunity for coaches. Uh, leaders, administrators to really work and really take like inside and take a look like, all right, what can I do to be better? How, you know, everyone says, no, I am a CEO, but are you really, can't, are you really writing down the things to say, I, I do well with this and I don't do well with this? Like, what are, what are things that I need in my life? Well, you know, the one thing I was thinking about, and I don't know why I didn't, I didn't say it earlier, is can you fundraise? If you want to be a college coach today, you better be able to fundraise. Right. And what's fundraising? Recruiting, recruiting, you normally in your job, you're recruiting 18 and college coaching, 18 to 20 year old, 23 year old kids to be on your team. Well, fundraising, 
is right, taking people who got those grown-ups who have money and recruiting them to in your mission right. to believe in your program and what you're trying to do and that they write a check. So you want the student athletes to to help you win on the court. You want the donors to help give you money to go recruit better student athletes to get better facilities to do all those things. So a coach that can't re- can't recruit or fundraise, no matter how great they are of an X's and O's person, is not as valuable to an AD in 2020. Mm. Uh, and that is the that is the truth. You know, um, there are a lot of smart coaches. A lot of smart coaches give you all the cutters and play by play, all these great things. You know, pick and rolls and everything. Right. Can you deal with people? Right. Not yell at, not yell at student athletes. Can you deal with people? That is the key. Yeah, I, it's it's the people piece is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger, and I and I still think that a, a lot of coaches are still wavering. They're like, oh, but I got to get this one last play in. I got, I'm, I, I, I mean, you and I have always talked about this before. I think there is there can be a needle push if you're able to go ahead and 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 work on that part with it. But all right, one last question for you, Gerald. Okay. Here we go. When they make your full feature film on Gerald Harrison, <laughs> athletic director extraordinaire slash beyond, who is playing you? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there's so many things you want to say, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, like I'm thinking of somebody, you know, Idris Alba, no, but it'll be somebody like uh, Keenan Thompson, probably. <laughs> and, not the, and not the new Keenan Thompson, I'm talking about the Good Burger Keenan Thompson. The, um, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm going with Idris Elba. Idris Elba is playing you. Idris, you're a big time listener to the BCLE. You're playing Gerald. You have won the sweepstakes. Uh, you, you, you know one thing. I am very self-deprecating and honest about it. So it will probably be somebody who's a little bit uh, a little bit more rotund. <laughs> No, man. Listen, we're, it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be on movie theaters or Netflix. Whichever one is going to give us more money. At this point, the way much Netflix as I'm watching, uh, we have, uh, I have been, I've done Tiger King and now I'm on the Ozarks. I think my wife's just going down the top 10 things on Netflix and making us watch it. But, you know, I'm going to go with Netflix. It seems like it's better than a movie theater yeah, right now. I- I have my I have Preston here with me. You know he's ni- nineteen now and he's huge and all I've that stuff. I've seen your TikToks. Oh, listen, he's he's choreographing all the dance moves. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All all I know, I try and channel my inner Bell Biv DeVoe, and he's just like, no, no, Dad, that's wrong. You're doing it wrong. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got one. The girls are trying to get me on one now. We'll see how it goes. You got to jump on board, man. It is. <laughs> 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 it's contagious. I'm being it contagious. I'm going to jump in I appreciate you joining on the Be Contagious Leadership Experience, man. You have been a dear friend of mine for years, and I've obviously from Duke to Austin P. I'm a big admirer of what you do and your work and everything else, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you, man. Enjoy. All right. How about season three starting off with the bang with Gerald Harrison dropping the nuggets on how to really grow in your career, how you have to be better no matter where you are, and how important relationships are as you go through your journey in life. 
So reach out to Gerald. He's an amazing individual. I am extremely lucky and blessed that not only did he agree to come on the podcast, but I could also call him as a friend. Guys, season three has just started, and I know that you are loving it already. If you could do me a big favor, head on over to iTunes, comment, say, H, your podcast is amazing, or H, your podcast, I got to move on. Either way, let us know so we can improve on every different thing that we can. And don't forget, visit us on www.hernandoplanels.com. You can follow me on uh, Instagram, on Twitter, on the TikTok, anywhere where I can be of service to you. I want to make it happen. Till next time, guys, ha- enjoy your day. And remember, be contagious to everyone. You and me.